We just finished uh, a couple weeks ago. We had a Reformation conference where we looked uh, much of the life of Martin Luther. Psalm 118 was Luther's favorite psalm. He called it his psalm. So we are going to look at this psalm this evening. We're going to read it and then we'll jump into it. I'm going to try to go quickly because I want to give lots of time for testimonies as well. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surround me, yes, they surround me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surround me like bees, and they were quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous, The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this evening we do give thanks to you. We confess here, even with the psalmist, that you are good. We rejoice in the truth that your mercy endures forever. And yet, Heavenly Father, our prayer as we come to this passage this evening is not that this would just be a truth that we confess here in church, 
but that these truths would sink deep into our hearts and our souls. That we would live like you are good. Day in and day out, dependent on your loving kindness. Your mercy that knows no end. Lord, may we be a thankful people. Rejoicing in the goodness of our God. May your name be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to Psalm 118, we're coming to the end of the Hallel Psalms. I mentioned as we entered Psalm 113 several weeks ago, that Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, they're called the Hallel Psalms. It simply means songs of praise. These are psalms that would have been sung throughout the year at Israel's seven feasts. And on Wednesday, normally we do psalms on Wednesdays, but this last Wednesday I told you I wanted to hold off on Psalm 118 because it fit perfectly with Thanksgiving. Because you see, Psalm 118 is the psalm that likely, of the Hallel Psalms, most corresponds to the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. It is the last of Israel's seven feasts. It's recorded for us in Leviticus 23, verses 39 to 43. And the idea of this festival, this tabernacle of tabernacles, is that throughout the seven days of this, from Sunday to Sunday, the seven days in between that, they are to construct and live in booths. For seven days. These booths are like temporary housing. They're, they're kind of like tents created out of branches. And it ends in a great feast. And it was to remind the people of their pilgrim journey through the wilderness. Coming out of Egypt. God's provision. As they didn't have a solid place to live. And yet they had a holy God to trust in. The testimony of God's provision. Warren Wearsby notes that the Feast of Tabernacles is the equivalent of the modern day Thanksgiving Day. It's a time to remember, a time to be thankful, a time to praise the Lord. And this psalm was the psalm that was sung by Israel at the tabernacle, at the Feast of Tabernacles. We see the language of Thanksgiving all throughout the psalm, do we not? It both starts and ends with a call to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. In fact, the psalm is meant to draw our minds to be sung at the Feast of Tabernacles, which looks back to this journey through the wilderness where the Lord protected his people, provided for his people. And the psalm itself is almost set up as a journey. You have the first four verses, this call to thanksgiving, it's the beginning of a journey. Then you have the journey itself through verses 5 to 28, the testimony of this psalmist where he has found God to be good. And then at the end you have the arrival, the celebration of arrival at the destination, verses 22 to 29 to the end of the psalm, re-emphasizing the original call to praise the Lord. It is a psalm of praise in response to a God who has done what he said he would do. A God who has delivered his people. 
It starts out with this call, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. In fact, that is repeated three other times through these first four verses. In fact, in all four verses, let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. You can almost picture the, the congregation of Israel gathered on this feast day. You can almost picture the, the priest or whoever it is standing up there and just say, let Israel now say, and this congregation of people, the sea of people just responding, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. Notice, if you will, that it's, it's really three different perspectives all of Israel, the specific house of Aaron, the priestly line, and then just everyone, all who fear the Lord, everyone from all perspectives has one repeated testimony. No matter what group you are a part of, this is your testimony that the Lord's mercy endures forever. For all time. At all times. In fact, the psalmist has come to see that this is true in his own life. And that's really the journey of this psalm from verses 5 to 21. I have found this to be true. Verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress. I called on him. And he answered me and set me in a broad place. Praise the Lord that he heard my cry. Not only did he hear me, but he is great enough and powerful enough to respond. He has put me in a broad place. The idea of a broad place, as we've mentioned from other psalms, is the idea of deliverance. It's to be taken from danger to safety. Or think of a broad place. Think of instability, like walking on, a, on the side of a mountain or something with rocks. It's very unstable. Taken from instability to stability. A broad place that does not move. It is solid. He has delivered me. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's a passage that's quoted in Hebrews 13.6. It's really a remarkable statement of faith. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Notice there's no qualifier there. I will not fear for the moment. I will not fear when I understand, kind of have the big picture. It's just very simply, I will not fear. Ever. Why? Because what can man do to me? And it's really a, a statement of faith that comes out of the truth of verse 7. Why is it that I will not fear? Why is it that, that I can say, what can man do to me? It's because, verse 7, the Lord is for me. And what a remarkable truth. That the Lord God has my back. That he's working all things for my good, as Romans 8 tells us. The Lord is 
for me. Creator, holy, almighty, eternal, glorious, sovereign God is for me. We see this most clearly in the New Testament with the perspective of looking back at the cross, do we not? The cross and the empty tomb that my God is for me. The just has become justifier, as Romans tells us. In fact, he is so much for me that he sent his only son to pay my penalty, to die for my sins. The Lord is for me. So what can man do to me? Therefore, I will see my desire on those who hate me. Not because of my strength, because of the power of my God who is for me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. In fact, it's better to put trust in the Lord than to put trust in the greatest of men, in even princes. Again, the psalmist has come to see this. Verses 10 down through 12. He was surrounded. All nations surrounded me. Yet note his, his confidence in the midst of this. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me. Yes, they surround me. Repetition there. I meant to highlight this, to draw attention to this. He is truly surrounded. From a human perspective, there is no deliverance. So how do you make sense of his response, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them? In fact, verse 12, they surrounded me like bees. If you've ever stepped on like a wasp nest or, or hit a, a beehive or something and just been attacked by bees and they're surrounding you and they're all around, you know the helplessness of that situation. But they were quenched like a fire of thorns. A fire of thorns is something that, that catches fast, something that burns quickly. But it burns so quickly that it really doesn't do any damage. It never gets that hot. It goes out just as quick as it lit. In the end, it's found to be powerless. What we see here in verses 10 to 12 is the perspective of faith. This is the psalmist living out what he just confessed in verse 6 and 7. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is, on, is, is for me. That's easy to say. But in verse 10, 11, and 12, he has to live that. His enemies surrounding him, he has every reason to fear man. And yet he trusts in the Lord. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength, he's my source of power, he's my song, he's my source of joy, and he has become my salvation. So he responds, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. I will praise the Lord. Verse 17, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. I will live and I will declare the works of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that is our purpose, to declare the works of the Lord to the world around us. 
Or as Paul said in Philippians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's the same thing. I will live and I will declare the works of the Lord. Verse 18, it's not all rosy. The Lord has chastened me severely. But he's not given me over to death. Even in chastening, there's purpose. Even in chastening, the Lord is good. Even in chastening, his mercy endures forever. That's the truth we saw in Hebrews, verses 12, 5 to 11, that the chastening of the Lord is really the privilege of the saints. Because through that chastening, the Lord is working in me. He is molding me into his image. He is ripping out things that should not be there. So verse 19 to 21, it's really the idea here of this psalmist who has been through this, who has endured the chastening of the Lord, and he's now rejoicing, and he he desires to now come into the presence of God, to the presence of the the tabernacle or the temple, to, to walk in where he can go as close as he can get, and to join the congregation in praising the Lord. I will praise you for you have answered me. And you've become my salvation. So we see the journey there from uh, through verse 21. Then really see the arrival, the end of the journey in verse 22 to the end of the chapter. To the song, end of the song. And it starts with this verse in verse 22. A verse that we know well. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In this context, it is Israel looked down on in the world, dismissed by her enemies, and yet it is the Lord who has chosen her, who has called her out. And yet we know even the greater statement here, do we not? In the New Testament. We know that the stone which the builders rejected that has become the chief cornerstone is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The chief cornerstone of the church, even as Paul talks about in Ephesians. It really ties back this whole idea of the the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It ties back to the idea of, of don't put your trust In men, it's better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in men. It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. We tend to look on the outside, but don't look to the outside. Don't look to princes. Look to and trust in your God. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What a powerful verse all the more powerful in light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes, as verse 23 tells us. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous. It is worthy of spending my life declaring the works of the Lord because it is marvelous what the Lord has done. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This day, 
this day of deliverance, this day of thanksgiving. This is a day that the Lord has given us, and we will praise the Lord. We will speak of what he has done. Verses 25 to 29 is, is really almost like a prayer. As the psalm comes to a close, taking all of this truth, this journey that we've walked on with the psalmist, and turning that truth into the prayer of your heart. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Bless your people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've blessed you from the house of the Lord. That verse, verse 26, is quoted by the crowd in Matthew 21, 9, as Jesus enters Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. Which makes sense. It would have been a psalm that would have been on their mind anyways as they're celebrating the Passover, thinking through these feasts. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet, was there any more deep truth said with any less meaning than at that triumphal entry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords and the horns of the altar. You are my God. And I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. And here we come full circle. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever.